Merck Park, USA. I'm Tavis Smiley. You're listening to KBLA Talk 1580. So glad to see you and me back in stride again. Our phone number 1-800-920-1580. 1-800-920-1580. All of our socials can be found at KBLA 1580. That's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Everything at KBLA 1580. You can also download our app right now at KBLA 1580. Take us with you anywhere in the world. And listen to us in real time, but only if you download the app right now at KBLA 1580. Should you miss us any day in real time, check out the podcast of this program by going to the app, the website, Anchor, Spotify, Apple, so many places to get the podcast and listen at your leisure should you miss us any day in real time. But I am delighted to have you along live with us today for the next three hours. You can also watch the live stream of this program by tapping on the KBLA TV icon on our app or by going to our YouTube channel. And finally, let me also invite you to follow me on Facebook and Instagram at The Real Tavis Smiley and get Twitter updates at Tavis Smiley. Another great show on tap for you today in our second hour, the most important scholar activist in black history, W.E.B. Du Bois, believed that supporting the Allied cause during World War I would bring full citizenship and democratic change to African-Americans. Sadly, Du Bois on this score was wrong, dead wrong. He had made a decision that would haunt him the rest of his life. Indeed, he would seek both intellectual clarity and personal atonement for more than two decades. In our two, we'll speak with Brandeis University Professor Chad L. Williams, author of a new book about W.B. Du Bois, the first African-American, of course, to receive a Ph.D., from Harvard. In our third hour, <clears throat> in our third hour, I have interviewed just about everybody over the course of my nearly 30-year broadcast career. How honored I have been to talk to just about anybody uh, in uh, in this business. Uh, but our three, <laughs> I must admit, is a first for me. A conversation today in our three with a black man who attends KKK rallies and plenty of them. In fact, he is the godfather of former Klan Imperial Wizard Roger Kelly's granddaughter. You heard me right. A black man who attends KKK rallies and is the godfather of the former Klan Imperial Wizard. His name is Daryl Davis. And Daryl Davis joins us in our three. You might want to stick around for that one. In any event, in this first hour today, a conversation uh, with a regular contributor to our program, the former Secretary of Homeland Security and former General Counsel of not one but two government departments, Jay Johnson. We'll commence that conversation in just a moment. Prior to that, two quick things. Uh, number one, uh, I was up early this morning and uh, reading a number of emails, of course, that come into our station every day, just tracking uh, how you are responding to what you're hearing on this station. And I came across an email this morning that was somewhat critical of our MRT coverage, our Mark Woody Thomas coverage. Uh, and I was moved before I came on the air this morning, which I rarely do before I go on the air, at least uh, to call this particular listener personally. Her name is Tracy. I uh, reached out to Tracy, and I think Tracy was a bit surprised <laughs> that I was calling her personally and calling her directly. Uh, but I just want you to know that anything you hear on this station, anything you don't hear, anything that you take exception to, anything you have conversation about, they call it talk radio for a reason, right? We want to, first of all, amplify your voices, but we also want you to feel uh, that the, that you're part of our family. And anything you want to say to us, 
you can email it, you can call it, you can uh, you can text it, you can you can uh, go to the app and use our open mic and re- record audio. But I want you to know uh, that uh, we can agree uh, without being disagreeable that each of us is entitled to our own opinions. And we love that. I love that. I say all the time that this station at our best is about challenging folk to reexamine the assumptions they hold at our best. We are about expanding your inventory of ideas, but we understand we ain't got no monopoly on the truth. I've said before, there is the truth and there is the way to the truth. And you got to be humble enough to accept and understand that you don't have a monopoly on everything that is truth. And so we love, love, love hearing your opinions and we ain't scared about hearing it. So write us, call us, <laughs> well, I, a pigeon mail, uh, uh, you can send by carrier pigeon, doesn't matter. We want to hear from you and uh, you might be surprised. Uh, I might call you personally just to uh, uh, tap into your expertise to hear more about why you feel the way you feel. I did so this morning with a listener named Tracy. So Tracy, if you're listening right now, thank you for your email and I hope you uh, appreciated the phone call. Uh, and uh, look forward to perhaps dialoguing down the road. But I want you to know again that you are welcome. Uh, you are invited, in fact, not just welcome, but we invite you to reach out to us to let us know uh, your concerns, your critiques, your thoughts about what you're hearing every day on Unapologetically Progressive KBLA Talk 1580. The other thing I did this morning before I got on the air was to uh, turn on my phone as I do in the morning, wake up, turn on my phone, see what's going on in the world. And a bunch of friends were blowing me up saying, have you seen this post this morning? Have you seen the post this morning? So apparently this morning, the incomparable Tony Bennett, yes, that Tony Bennett, <laughs> posted uh, uh, posted and tagged me this morning. And the post from uh, Mr. Bennett uh, was a flashback. Today's Thursday, so you know how this works on social media, flashback Thursday. Uh, so Tony Bennett uh, did a flashback uh, Thursday, a throwback Thursday, flashback Friday, forgive me, flashback Friday, throwback Thursday. Uh, he did a throwback Thursday post. Uh, of the night that he appeared for the final time uh, at the Hollywood Bowl. Uh, and I'm at, I'm at my house one day, and I get a phone call from, uh, uh, from Tony Bennett. I answered the phone. I said, hi, it's Tavis. He says, Tavis, it's Tony. I paused for a second. Tony. I said, oh, Mr. Bennett. <laughs> he said, yeah, Tony. Uh, he said, how are you? I said, I'm fine. He said, I'm coming to Los Angeles in a few weeks, and I'm making my final appearance at the Hollywood Bowl, and I'm calling to ask a favor. I said, sure, Mr. Bent. He said, would you mind um, bringing me on stage, introducing me for my final night in my career at the Hollywood Bowl? Would you mind doing that? Would you consider doing it? (laughs) I paused. I said, hmm, would I consider bringing on Tony Bennett for his final night at the Bowl? Of course. (laughs) I would bring Tony Bennett on. So I went on the bowl, went on the stage for his last night at the bowl and uh, introduced uh, the one and only Tony Bennett. And so this morning, uh, what, a, what a great way to start today. Tony Bennett post uh, a throwback uh, Thursday uh, picture of Tony Bennett and me and the maestro, Gustavo Dudamel, who's now leaving L.A., as you know, going to the New York field. We're losing Gustavo Dudamel, the maestro. He's going to the New York field. Uh, with Deborah Border, uh, but uh, what a great throwback photo from Tony Bennett this morning. And that's how you wake up, you know, even your tab is smiley on this particular day, at least, with Tony Bennett posting a throwback Thursday photo of you at the Hollywood Bowl. So throughout today's program, I'm in a Tony Bennett mood. You know where this is going, right? We're gonna play a little Tony Bennett here and there throughout today's show. We'll commence our conversation with Secretary Jay Johnson when we come forward on KBLA Talk 1580. I don't know about you, but I have a really eclectic music taste, and I love, love, love. 
Tony Bennett. The chairman of the board, Frank Sinatra, once called his the greatest voice that he'd ever heard. That's Frank Sinatra on Tony Bennett. It's the greatest voice I've ever heard. And so when you wake up on a Thursday morning and Tony Bennett has made you the subject of a throwback Thursday uh, photo and post, which I'm grateful for, you're in a Tony Bennett kind of mood. So we'll play again. Tony Bennett. A few tracks here and there throughout today's program. Speaking of music, uh, former Secretary of Homeland Security Jay Johnson actually hosts a radio program on the uh, East Coast on a great station that I love. And uh, he's a music lover as well. Are you not, Secretary Johnson? Good morning. I certainly am. And that was a <laughs> fine tribute to Tony Bennett. You know, I looked him up while you were talking about him. He's going to be 97 years old in August. That's that, remarkable. That is correct. 97 in August. And he has uh, he's earned his retirement. So he's no longer performing, uh, but what a great night it was at the Bowl. Uh, he'd been there so many times over the course of his career, uh, and to be asked to uh, to bring him on stage was a, was a beautiful thing. Um, so much to talk to you about in this hour. By the way, how how is your radio program coming along, sir? Are you still enjoying it? I am enjoying it very much. I spend far too much time putting together the playlist. <laughs> uh, I, I um, The next show will be April 15th, mm-hmm. and we will be hosting... Terrence Blanchard, the wow. jazz artist. Wow, I love Terrence. Last month, we, last month was Charlene Hunter Galt, mm. and in uh, January, February, we hosted Ambassador Andrew Young mm. to pay tribute to Martin Luther King. I actually learned some things from Ambassador Young about MLK. I thought I knew all about MLK. Turns out, Martin Luther King got a C in public speaking at Morehouse College. <laughs> You know what? Then there's hope for all of us. If Dr. King got a C. There's hope for all of us. He got a C in public speaking at Morehouse College. Yes, you know, sir. of all the things I knew about Dr. King, Andy never told me that either. That's a great story. I didn't know that, man. I'm a King student. I didn't know that either. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I'm in good company now. Yeah, so. man. I didn't know that. I got a C. Lord Jesus, in public yep. speaking, of all things, yeah, there, there is hope for all of us if King uh, got an average there grade. There is hope for all of us. <laughs> uh, let, My show is terrific. Yeah, I'm, I'm having I'm, a great time with I'm it. I'm glad you're joining. WBGO, Saturday mornings, once a month, 88.3 FM. I love WBGO. It is, to my mind, the greatest jazz station in the country. They play all kinds of music. You do a show that's uh, a bit more contemporary. Uh, but it's, it is the greatest jazz station in the country. I love WBGO. Never uh, come to the East Coast without having the drive to turn it on while I'm moving around the, moving around the city. I love, love, go. love that great station. Right, um, right. A lot to talk about in this hour. Um, I want to talk politics. Let me jump into this first. Um, I, I know that I, I want to take your temperature, and I'm sure the audience wants to hear your take as the former Secretary of Homeland Security, uh, as, uh, again, general counsel of not one but two different government departments. Uh, certainly you were there during the Obama era on his team. So I know you've got thoughts about Donald Trump. We'll get to that in a second, I promise you. But this is fascinating and breaking news this morning. We've been talking for a long time about whether or not Joe Biden would run for re-election. Uh, and uh, we, we expect that the way he's teeing things up, we expect, given his State of the Union address uh, some weeks back, that he, in fact, is going to announce in the not-too-distant future he's going to seek re-election. That is our expectation. But the flip side of that is, one, if he doesn't run, what happens? And number two, even if he does run, will he be primaried by somebody? The last time a sitting Democratic president was primaried, as you well know, Secretary Johnson, was during the Jimmy Carter era. We are, uh, you know, looking... Uh, uh, looking back at, at, at his administration, uh, Jimmy Carter, 
And yet he had a difficult time in those first four. Well, he only had one term, of course. That first four years he had uh, was a difficult, uh, difficult time. And at the end of that uh, first term, um, there were conversations about whether or not a Democrat would primary Jimmy Carter. It turns out that Ted Kennedy did. Uh, a sitting U.S. senator from Massachusetts named Edward M. Kennedy, as you'll recall, primary yep. Jimmy Carter. It was an ugly, ugly bloodletting with a Democratic president running for re-election and somebody from his own party decides to primary him. And that person happens to be a Kennedy, Ted Kennedy. And it was ugly. It was vicious. In the end, Jimmy Carter pulled it out. He beat back Ted Kennedy. But then Ronald Reagan just spanked Jimmy Carter. He had spent all of his resources, all of his time, all of his energy trying to defeat Ted Kennedy. And Ronald Reagan swept into the White House uh, for two terms and the rest, as they say, is history. So the questions have been whether or not the president's going to run again. If he does run again, will he be primaried? Well, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. has announced his intent to challenge Joe Biden for the White House. He has filed election paperwork to run for U.S. president in 2024 as a Democrat. The son of Bobby Kennedy, the nephew of John Kennedy, the nephew of Edward M. Kennedy, has decided he's going to challenge Biden for the Democratic nomination, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. What, sir, do you make of that breaking news? Well, I can't say that I'm really surprised that Joe Biden this time around might draw a primary opponent. I believe he will get the nomination. You know, it's no small task to run in a Democratic primary. You've got to you've got to file and qualify in each and every state where there is a primary, and you've got to have the resources to do that. Mr. Kennedy certainly has the name recognition, uh, but I I fully expect that if Joe Biden runs, he will be the nominee. It's just the way our, our party apparatus works. It may be interesting here or there, but I would fully expect that Joe Biden will be the nominee of the party. Yep. Robert Kennedy Jr., uh, who, I, who I've known for, for many years, interviewed him a number of times over the years, uh, uh, of course, is the son, as I said, of the assassinated uh, Robert F. Kennedy and nephew of John Kennedy. Um, he has been yes. um, he's been an environmentalist for years. Uh, he I, I won't say that uh, Robert Kennedy Jr. is a one issue candidate, but certainly his primary issue is the environment. Uh, he's also a very yep. out, he's a very outspoken anti-vaccine uh, campaigner. Uh, and my, my sense is that while he likely does not expect to win the nomination, there are issues that he wants to raise. And chief among them would be the environment. And I think he suspects that uh, President Biden is a bit weak or certainly vulnerable on issues of the environment. Uh, so I take your point uh, that at the end, Joe Biden will likely be the nominee. Uh, but what but what does it say, though, uh, to the Democratic Party? Uh, what does it say to the nation writ large that a stalwart of the Democratic Party, like the son of Bobby Kennedy, would then challenge a sitting president? Well, it's interesting. Bobby Kennedy Jr. is as you've noted, is something of an outlier. Mm -hmm. You may recall that he was in support of parole for Sirhan Sirhan about a year ago. Sirhan Sirhan, of course, assassinated his father, Robert mm -hmm. Kennedy, in 1968. And some members of the Kennedy family reached out to me and asked if I would write a public statement opposing parole for Sirhan Sirhan, which I did. Uh, I rounded up as co-signatories, Leon Panetta, Jane Harmon, and Bill Bratton. 
And our view was that Robert Kennedy's assassination in 1968 really did alter the course of history, given where we were at that time, given that he was in the midst of a presidential campaign. He had won the California primary that night and may well have gone on to the nomination and election and the course of the Vietnam War, I suspect, would have been entirely different. But Robert Kennedy Jr. has been something of an outlier all his life. Uh, you know, in Democrat Democratic primaries, people do feel free to challenge the frontrunner, to challenge the incumbent. I mean, let's put aside the Republican Party for a moment, which, in my opinion, is a mess right now. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm not entirely surprised that that there would be a challenger to the incumbent Joe Biden. Mm-hmm. Um, since you went there, let me follow you. Uh, the summer of 68 uh, was uh, was was quite a tumultuous period in this country's history, as you well know. There have been books, tons of books, tons of documentaries, films, articles. So much has been written, so much has been uh, said about 68, uh, because in 68 we lost, of course, uh, Dr. King first. Uh, as a matter of fact, I can see the footage right now in my mind's eye. Uh, Bobby Kennedy happened to be in my hometown of Indianapolis, Indiana, giving yep. a speech at running yep. for president when the word came that Dr. King had been assassinated in Memphis. So King is, I mean, uh, Bobby Kennedy is speaking to a crowd in Indianapolis, Indiana, and announces to that crowd that Dr. King had been murdered in Memphis. And you can just hear the audible, not just gasp, but the weeping and the wailing out loud yep. on that videotape yep. that you and I have seen many times of Bobby Kennedy making that announcement. Of course, uh, not much longer, not much later, I should say, Bobby Kennedy is killed in that same year. So 68, we lose Bobby Kennedy. We lose uh, Dr. King. To your point that Bobby's assassination uh, changed the course of history, we can say the same thing, of course, about Dr. King, who we mentioned, who we, who we mentioned earlier, who got a C in public speaking at Morehouse. Uh, but to what extent do you think history, uh, the course of history, was in fact changed when Bobby Kennedy and MLK were gunned down in the same year? Well, you can never really be sure. sure, but what I am sure about is that Kennedy, first and foremost, was campaigning against the Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. That was the motivating reason he jumped into the race, because he saw what was happening there, and he felt obliged to challenge LBJ. And I am certain that if he had been elected, he would have wound down that effort. Of course, Richard Nixon was elected in 1968, and the war went on for another four or five years, and thousands and thousands more Americans died as a result. So I I suspect the course of the Vietnam War would have been different. I suspect that Americans' attitude toward their government would have been different if Robert Kennedy had been elected in 1968. Um, Many of us, and I was only 11 years old at the time, but many of us Mm -hmm. saw Bobby Kennedy as the continuation of of Camelot, the continuation of a period of optimism that had been shattered in 1963 when his brother was assassinated. And we saw a lot of hope in in Bobby Kennedy. I I know you know black America saw a lot of hope Mm -hmm. in Bobby Kennedy after Mm -hmm. King's assassination. Mm -hmm. And in many ways, I don't believe our country ever fully recovered after Kennedy's assassination. I remember... I remember the the bitter sadness watching that funeral train from New York to Washington that day in June 1968 and feeling that our country will never be the same again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, speaking of Bobby and, uh, and Dr. King, another story pops into my head about another person that you and I both know, 
um, the amazing Marion Wright Edelman, who founded, of course, the Children's Defense Fund. Uh, Marion Wright Edelman, yeah. Marion Wright Edelman, during that time was a young woman named Marion Wright, <laughs> and she yeah. was working for she was working with and for Dr. King. A guy named Peter Edelman was working for Bobby Kennedy. And because yep. one was working for Bobby and one was working for Martin, they ended up connecting. And that's how Mary Wright Edelman got married to Peter Edelman. Then all these years, 60 years plus years later, they are still married. Mary yep. Wright Edelman is married to Peter Edelman. Uh, and they met uh, she black, he white. Uh, but they met yep. uh, working for Bobby Kennedy and uh, Dr. King. It is one of the enduring marriages in this country. And what what grand contributions they both made. Peter Edelman has been the one of the great stalwarts. Um, on the issue of poverty and income inequality and economic immobility. He's taught about it, still teaches at Georgetown about it, he's written books about it. Uh, Peter Edelman, uh, the greatest voice, one of the great great voices in this country on uh, on anti-poverty work. Uh, and, of course, Marion Wright Edelman, uh, no one, no greater advocate have children ever had in this country than Marion Wright Edelman. Uh, and so the two of them met again, working for Bobby Kennedy and Dr. King. So there are any number of connections that come out of uh, the Kennedys and the Kings uh, back in the day. When we come forward... Um, uh, one or two other, actually, one other question I want to ask um, about um, uh, the Kennedy family, specifically Eddie, uh, Edward Kennedy. I want to uh, get uh, uh, Secretary Johnson's take on the bloodletting uh, in uh, 1980 when uh, uh, Ted Kennedy, Senator Kennedy, primaried Jimmy Carter. He was 11 when Bobby Kennedy was killed, a bit older, of course, <laughs> when uh, Ted Kennedy primaried Jimmy Carter. And I want to get his recollections as a black man, as a fellow citizen then, what he recalls about Ted Kennedy challenging a sitting president named Jimmy Carter, as uh, Ted Kennedy's nephew, Robert Kennedy Jr., will now do to Joe Biden, challenge him as another Democrat in a primary. And then, of course, we get to all the Trump stuff after news, traffic, and sports, you're listening to Secretary Jay Johnson on KBLA Talk. I'm Tavis Smiley. He's Tony Bennett, and you're listening to KBLA Talk 1580. Our phone number, 1-800-920-1580. 1-800-920-1580. One of his biggest hits, The Good Life. I hope today that you are living the good life, living your best life. And uh, we're delighted to have you hanging out with us today. Uh, in this hour, we continue our conversation now with Secretary Jay Johnson, former Secretary of Homeland Security and the General Counsel of not one but two government departments during his career in government. Uh, delighted to uh, have his insights um, as a regular contributor uh, to this program. So we've been talking about a number of things, uh, but most primarily uh, the news this morning that Robert Kennedy Jr. Uh, has taken uh, has filed election paperwork to run for U.S. president in 24, 2024 as a Democrat. So it is a fact now uh, uh, that if uh, he can qualify, uh, Joe Biden will, in fact, face a primary challenge, at least from one other person whose name is Robert F. Kennedy Jr., uh, the 69-year-old son of the assassinated Senator Robert F. Kennedy, nephew of John F. Kennedy and nephew of uh, former Senator uh, the late Edward M. Kennedy. Uh, and so speaking of Edward M. Kennedy, it was um Edward Kennedy, as a sitting senator from Massachusetts, who primaried uh, Jimmy Carter, the last Democrat uh, to be primaried as sitting president. You can imagine how ugly it gets when you're president and you're running for reelection and somebody from your own party runs against you. Well, Joe Biden, we expect to formally announce he's running and uh, he could be facing a challenge uh, from uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Again, if he can uh, qualify with all the paperwork, et cetera, et cetera. That said, 
Um, you were only 11 when Bobby Kennedy was assassinated, uh, Secretary Johnson, a, f a few years older, uh, when Ted Kennedy challenged Jimmy Carter. Uh, were you politically active then? And if not, what, 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 over history, what are your takeaways from what happens when uh, a Democrat challenges a sitting president? You know, the 1980 primary is interesting. I was in law school then. Mm -hmm. uh, I was not politically active then. I was in the law library just about full time. But I remember that primary well. It was plain that the two of them, Jimmy Carter and Ted Kennedy, did not like each other mm -hmm. on a personal level. And looking back on it, I think, and I don't have any deep insights here, but I think that Ted Kennedy ran for president that year really because he felt obliged to do so because of his two brothers who had been assassinated. And he probably, I'm just speculating here, but he probably didn't really deep down want to be president. He went on to have a very distinguished career in the United States Senate. He mm -hmm. stayed in the Senate another 30 years after 1980, and his list of legislative accomplishments is too numerous to try to chronicle here. And so, in my judgment, Ted Kennedy made his mark and was destined to make his mark on history as a United States senator. He probably ran in 1980 because... Uh, John Kennedy had been president because Robert Kennedy was running for president when he was assassinated. And so many people said, well, you're next. Mm -hmm. And, of course, he got into the race, and everyone thought that a Kennedy would be invincible against a weakened Democratic incumbent. But it turned out that uh, Carter went on to win that nomination, and frankly, it wasn't even close. Yeah, it wasn't close, and neither was it close when he when he lost to Ronald Reagan uh, some months later. Uh, that wasn't that wasn't close either. No, that's right. Yeah, it was it was an ugly uh, ugly time. Um, speaking of Jimmy Carter, uh, we heard weeks ago, of course, uh, from uh, him uh, that whatever days he had left, he wanted to spend at home in hospice, uh, and that is where he is. Uh, President Biden made remarks a few weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, saying that um, uh, he had talked to Jimmy uh, President Carter. And that he was in his final transition uh, and that he'd been asked by President Carter to deliver the eulogy at his funeral. Uh, President Biden uh, mentioned uh, that he'd uh, said publicly that he'd been asked by President Carter to deliver the eulogy at his funeral, which he told President Carter he would, in fact, do. So President Carter, as we all know now, is doing um, that dance with mortality that we will all do eventually. You ain't going to get out of here alive. So he's dancing with mortality right now, and in the coming days, um, I suspect he will make his transition. Uh, and when he does, we will go into our vault and pull out uh, any one of the many conversations I've been honored to have with uh, President Carter over the course of my broadcast career. And we spent some time in one of those conversations talking about uh, that primary and how he felt about Ted Kennedy running against him in 1980. Uh, I remember that conversation quite well. So we'll pull some, we'll go in the vault and pull out the tapes of those conversations with President Carter uh, when we get to that moment. We are praying uh, daily for his family uh, as he, uh, again, makes his uh, transition whenever that will be. Ted Kennedy did go on, though, to have a, a remarkable career in the Senate, uh, as uh, Secretary Johnson said. And indeed, uh, when he passed away, uh, he was referred to by many as the Lion of the Senate, the Lion of the Senate. And speaking of Ted Kennedy, Secretary Johnson, you'll recall this. Uh, when your former boss, Barack Obama, was running for president, it was a big, big, big deal 
the day that oh, Ted, yes. the day that Ted, you know where I'm going, right? <laughs> the day that Ted Kennedy, yes, and his his niece Caroline Kennedy, the daughter of John F. Well, Kennedy. Yes, Caroline. Yeah. Caroline wrote an op-ed in the Times endorsing Barack Obama just a few days before. That's right. And that was after, if recollection is correct, after the Times itself had on its editorial page endorsed Hillary Clinton. That's right. And Caroline came out with that endorsement. That was big, big news. Uh, and then Ted Kennedy a few days later. Yeah, that's right. When uh, when uh, the Times did, in fact, endorse, he's got it right, the Times endorsed Hillary Clinton. Uh, and then Caroline Kennedy came out and said, I hear the Times, but I'm going with Barack Obama. Uh, the skinny kid with the funny yep. name, as he put it. <laughs> and then a few days after yep. that, Caroline and her uncle Teddy, uh, Senator Ted Kennedy, at a major event, uh, appeared together with Barack Obama. And when they put that Kennedy yep. imprimatur on Barack Obama, it, it had a big impact in Democratic politics when the Kennedys came I was, out. I was, I was very involved in the Obama campaign in 2008. Mm -hmm. And I remember reading that op-ed from Caroline. It, it brought tears to my eyes. Yep, no, it was a game changer. It was a game changer when she and her uncle uh, got in behind uh, Barack Obama. Um, let me pivot now. Uh, uh, this ain't gonna be a, this, this won't be a, a gentle pivot, <laughs> but let me pivot. No, this is going to be a sharp pivot. Yeah. I know where you're going. Yeah, very, okay. very, very, very sharp pivot. As a matter of fact, let me, let me, let, let me, let me do an interim pivot before I do the big pivot. Um, we'll get to Donald Trump in just a second. Speaking of Barack Obama, but I do want to ask about this right quick, and then we can just move on, be, move on past it. But it's significant. So earlier this week, and I've been waiting to talk to you about this, I haven't talked about it all week long, waiting for you. But earlier this week, after that school shooting in Nashville, Governor Ron DeSantis in Florida signed a measure allowing Floridians to carry concealed, loaded weapons without a permit. As the former Secretary of Homeland Security, how do you read that decision by Ron DeSantis in Florida? Well, anytime a public official does something in private and without, you know, the public being invited, you know that there's something uh, suspicious about that. In many respects, he is not proud of it. Look, Tavis, you know this. The common thread through all these mass shootings is the permissiveness of our gun laws in this country. Let's face it, guns are a part of our culture Guns are enshrined in our Constitution. I've been enough places in rural areas in this country where it's probably a good idea for a responsible gun owner to have a gun to protect his family, but no constitutional right is absolute. Mm -hmm. There is no constitutional right that is, that is unqualified. And we have the ability to regulate guns. We have the ability to regulate and ban assault weapons consistent with the Second Amendment, and our Congress needs to do so. Otherwise, kids, uh, churchgoers, uh, a whole lot of other people are going to continue to die in these mass shootings. This is a, 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 a blot on America, and we've just got to do something about this. Mm. It's a, it is a blot on, on America, and yet uh, I can't see um, how we make the turn. I've said many times, nothing new for this audience to hear me uh, opine uh, in this regard, that when America decides not to do something when white babies are being killed, it's one thing to write off the murder of black kids. It happens every day, sadly. Um, the dignity and the humanity of black life in this country is still uh, not respected, regarded uh, in the ways that it should be. 
But when you're killing white babies in Sandy Hook and you're killing white babies in Nashville and you still can't turn that corner, Secretary Johnson, I don't know what gives. Well, I don't either. You know, I think you've heard me say this. After Uvalde, I said publicly I thought we needed an Emmett Till moment Mm -hmm. where the American public actually does see the carnage that an AR-15, that an assault weapon can cause, the damage that an assault weapon can do to a child's body before we will finally decide that we need to do something about this senseless continued killing. It makes no sense, and it's it says a lot about our American democracy. The inability, though a majority of Americans want assault weapons banned, the inability of our representatives, they're supposed to represent us, our representatives in Congress to take action and do something about this. We did this once before in 1994. Thanks to Dianne Feinstein, we need to do so again. Let me ask you right quick in about 45 seconds. I know what you mean, of course, when you say an Emmett Till moment. You're talking, of course, about the cover of Jet Magazine, are you not? Yes, I am. And uh, the fact that his mother was willing to show the world what the Klan had done to her son's body. Yep, indeed. Uh, That's a nice segue, as I mentioned earlier, in case you just tuned in. In our third hour today, something I've never done in my 30-year career uh, in broadcast media, I'm having a conversation with a guy named Daryl Davis, a black guy who actually attends Klan rallies and is the the godfather uh, of the granddaughter of one of the former uh, uh, imperial wizards of the Klan. That should be a fascinating conversation in our three. I digress for now. More with Secretary Jay Johnson when we come forward on KBLA Talk 1580. All right, Secretary Johnson, that was the baby pivot. Now the big pivot <laughs> that you knew was coming. Uh, I don't need to color this much more than this. I'll just say Donald Trump and ask you your take on what we have witnessed this week. Yes, I have two observations, Davis. One, it's interesting, we were talking about Martin Luther King earlier in this program. Tuesday, when Trump was arraigned in New York, was April 4th, Mm -hmm. the 55th anniversary of MLK's assassination. Mm -hmm. I could not help but observe to certain friends of mine in uh, the press that it seems to me that this arraignment of Donald Trump is getting more press attention than the assassination of Martin Luther King 55 years ago. And I put it to a very seasoned journalist who has actually covered both events, and she said, yes, I agree with you, which is extraordinary. That Donald Trump and his arraignment at 100 Center Street got more press coverage, is getting more press coverage than the murder of one of the most consequential men in American history. And that's that's where we are. The, the thing that Everybody keeps pointing out about this. It's, we're in uncharted waters. It's unprecedented that a former president of the United States has been charged with a crime. What is more significant to me is that the front runner for the Republican nomination for president has been charged with a crime, mm. and his poll numbers do not seem to have been affected at all. I anticipate that he will also be indicted in Fulton County, Georgia. I anticipate he'll also be indicted for withholding classified documents at Mar-a-Lago, and I suspect he will also be indicted for the events around January 6th. These things are going to pile up, and it's going to be up to Republican primary voters to decide whether 
they want to nominate somebody for president who's under indictment in two, three, or four different jurisdictions. And I fear that they will not care. And what does that say about our American democracy right now? And this, as this trial timetable progresses and as the campaign timetable progresses, it's going to be a real mess. Um, this could be something of a car wreck. And it will be very interesting and very, what's my word? Um, I'll be on the edge of my seat worried about the future of our democracy over this. Mm. Our remaining moments for Secretary Jay Johnson when we come forward on KBLA. Got about four minutes left, uh, just four minutes left in conversation with former Homeland Security Secretary Jay Johnson, our guest in this hour, who was moments ago running a list of things that he suspects. Uh, one of those things that he uh, suspects that he will be indicted, Donald Trump, that is, uh, in a number of other cases. One of those uh, could be uh, by the Department of Justice. Uh, and uh, there's breaking news this morning uh, regarding that. Former top national security officials have told prosecutors and testified to a federal grand jury that they repeatedly told former President Donald Trump and his allies that the government did not have the authority to seize voting machines after the 2020 election. And all the bizarre things that Donald Trump has said and done, one of them was that they were threatening to go seize the voting machines uh, in certain parts of this country, hence Fannie Willis's <laughs> uh, uh, grand jury investigation down in Georgia and Fulton County specifically. Uh, but again, national security officials, former officials have told prosecutors uh, and testified to a grand jury that they repeatedly told Donald Trump and his allies uh, while he was serving as president that they did not. The government did not have the authority to seize voting machines after the 2020 election. Uh, just a couple seconds here left. Uh, Secretary Johnson, what do you make of that news? Well, it, that's absolutely correct. Uh, the federal government does not have the authority to seize voting machines. Voting machines are the province of state and local governments. And it, I, I've heard this speculation that he wanted the Department of Homeland Security to seize these voting machines. Mm -hmm. And DHS absolutely does not, did not, never has, and never will have the authority to seize voting machines in this country. And so fortunately, that that uh, advice was uh, heated in some way. Well, uh, Jay Johnson led that department as former Secretary of Homeland Security, so if anybody knows, he does. Let me close with this. Uh, back to that list of things that you suspect um, that you uh, shared with us uh, moments ago. Do you suspect uh, that after indictment one, two, three, four, maybe five, um, that Donald Trump will get out of the race or put another way that the GOP establishment will press him and force him to get out of the race? No, I don't believe he will withdraw voluntarily. I think he will put his head down and keep going because his base will keep rooting him on. He will have to be defeated at the ballot box, at the polls, uh, and sent packing. I don't believe he will voluntarily withdraw. And you, That's my prediction. And you don't think the establishment at the party level, from the, from the chairman on down, uh, will press him? publicly nope. to get out of the race nope i don't wow <laughs> hey they they haven't they haven't so far right yeah. i mean well, they, we're, they we're, we're only we're, we're only one indictment in though mr secretary we're only one indictment in right hey you know they tried in 2016 after the access hollywood video yeah and he got elected didn't he yeah he did uh -huh. 
I digress. Yep. We'll leave it there. Uh, always delighted to be joined by um, the former Secretary of Homeland Security, uh, Jay Johnson. I mentioned earlier he was a general counsel of not one but two departments, in case you're curious. One was Department of Air Force and the other Department of Defense. He's been general counsel in his career for both of those major departments, uh, alongside being uh, with Barack Obama as Secretary of Homeland Security. Mr. Secretary, we'll do it again down the road. Thank you for your time. All the best to you, sir. Thanks, Tavis. My great delight to have you on. Hour two of Tavis Smiley. After news, traffic, and sports, you are listening to KBLA Talk 1580, and we're glad about it.